Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is uh, the chapter that we've been in for a number of weeks. And uh, we're at the beginning of the chapter, we were taking a look at perilous times. In the last days, perilous times shall come. And we're reading about perilous times and then begins to talk about this form of religion but lacking the power thereof, a counterfeit religion or counterfeit Christianity, a fake Christianity, if you will. And uh, he begins to go in a little bit further and he says, here is the last days. You're going to be seeing all of these signs and it will come because there is a counterfeit Christianity. There is a, a, a belief system where they look good, they look religious, but they lack power. And we begin to describe that. But then he says, but thou hast known my doctrine and my manner of life. What he's saying is, you see those things over there, you know that what we have is real. What we've got is real. We have a real relationship with God. We have a real uh, power that is in what God has given to us. And we began to talk about what a real Christianity is. The antidote to the last days is to have a real Christianity, to have something that is genuine, to have something that people could look at and say, there's something there. It's not just the facade of Christianity, but it's hollow on the inside. You, you knock on it and you can hear it's solid all the way through. And he began to talk about his manner of life, about how this was personal. This was not just something that he talked about. It's something that he lived. And he lived through some great persecution some great difficulties. He was stoned. He was whipped. He was falsely accused. He was run out of town. He was shipwrecked. He went through all of these things, and he said, but through it all, God has delivered me. He said, there is victory in the Christian life, as you have seen. He said, when I was in Antioch, when I was at Iconium, when I was at Lystra, you saw all of these things, and when I came back around, I was still standing, still continuing to live for God, and that is what we need today. What we need, what you and I need, is a real Christianity. Now the question is, how do you get it? It's fine that we can talk about that the answer is real Christianity. The question is, how do I get it? How do I have it? Where can I find it? Today is a very special day if you are a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. Amen, Dodgers fans, <laughs> right? Today's a very important day. If you're not a sports fan, you might be totally oblivious to what's going on. So I'm going to uh, you know, get you up to speed, all right? Today is the very last day of the Major League Baseball season. The significance of that is the Dodgers are in a race to win the National League West. They are one game behind those San Francisco Giants, right? I almost expected to hear booze, you know, coming out, you know, right? Okay, now, today, if the Dodgers are going to win the West, the Giants have to lose and the Dodgers have to win. If they win and the Dodgers lose, they will be tied. And I was reading that the tiebreaker is they play another game. The Dodgers and the Giants will play one more game for who wins the West. 
who gets to host the games, and who's got to play in that other wildcard game. All right? You may not understand the whole system, but the point is this. Today is a very important game. So important that I'm sure many, if you're a big Dodgers fan, you're going to try to watch the game. I don't even know what time it is, but you're going to try to watch the game. All right? The reason why I don't uh, know what time it is is because I can't watch the game. All right? Because... If you're gonna, or maybe I can, but you know I don't, you know I don't have a you know a TV system that lets me watch these games, you know, being you know over the airways. All right, you have one place where you can watch the games. There's one channel. You can't watch it on Netflix. You can't watch it on Apple TV. You can't watch it on any Hulu or any of these things. There's there's exclusive rights to the game that goes on in this one channel. I have an app that, uh, long story short, I got a deal where I could watch the games, as you know, I'm from the Seattle area, where I can watch my Seattle Mariners play games. So every once in a while, I'll open up the app, you know, watch the games, and they're also in a race. They've got to win today, uh, and the other teams have to lose if they're gonna make the playoffs. So it's kind of a big game today. Uh, but. I tried to watch the Dodgers game, and if you click on the Dodgers game, it'll say, you are not able to watch the game, there are local blackouts in the area. Meaning, because I live in LA area, it doesn't let me watch the Dodgers game because there are exclusive rights to the Dodgers. Now, what does that have to do with real Christianity? <laughs> the point is this, if you wanna watch the Dodgers game, you got one place where you can go get it, where you can go watch it. If you want real Christianity, there's one place where you can go get it. There's just one. You can check all the other channels if you want to, but you're not going to find it there. It's only in one place. So you can go check out all of the things that your friends are talking about. You can go check out everything that's big on social media. You can go see what the media talks about. You can see what the newscasters are talking about. You can see what the famous celebrities are all talking about, what the athletes say is important, and you should try all of these things. You could check out all the other channels if you want to, but you're not gonna find real Christianity in any of those places. You only find it in this one place, which is, as we've seen here, the Word of God. See, here is God, or here is Paul, you know, God through the inspiration, you know, is, is writing these words, and Paul, by the inspiration of God, is penning these words, and he's beginning to talk about, I have something real, so real, that I have to share it with the world, I have to share it with people, and he says, you knew all of these things, and then he says, in verse number 14, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of. Verse 15, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Verse number 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. See, in the last days, there's going to be perilous times, and it's going to lack power, and, and you might be looking around wondering, where's the power? Where's the real Christianity that I'm looking for, that I need? And God's saying it's right here in the word of God. Isaiah chapter 55, verse number 11 says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not re uh, return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. See, what we need in the last days is the word of God. What we don't need is a gimmick. 
What we don't need necessarily is the flash and all of the extra things. You know, you can use some of those things. Those, those can be a help. You know, we had a fall festival. We had a lot of fun last week. That's great. That's fine. But the point is, all of that only matters if, first of all, we have the Word of God, if we study the Word of God, if we learn from the Word of God, if we receive the Word of God, and it becomes real to us. Because the answer to perilous times is not, what is God going to do with that mess that's out there? You ever look out there in the world? Sometimes you get to see too much of the world, you know? You see social media through that little Instagram box that scrolls up, you know, and YouTube and TV and the internet, all of that. Sometimes you see all of that and you think, whoa, what a mess, right? You ever think that? Oh, there's a mess out there. Oh, there's, there's, it's messy out there in the world. And the question is not, at least for us as Christians, what is God going to do with all those people out there? The question in the minds of Christians is how is God going to deal with that mess out there by working on me? God's answer to the solution out there is us. God's answer to the mess out there in the world is his people. It's us. God says, I'm giving a word to help you to go out into the world and to be able to deal with that mess. Now, ultimately, of course, it is going to be God. But God is going to and he desires to work uh, through us. So the question for us as believers ultimately comes down to this. What is God going to do with us? When you see the mess out there in the world, try not to think about, what is God going to do with that? Try to ask yourself the question, what is God going to do with me? What is God going to do with me? I see three ways this morning in which God works in his people to be able to deal with the perilous times that we face or the ways that God works in people in general. First of all, we see that the Bible works to save us. Verse number 15, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The first thing that we need to know about the word of God and what God desires to say to people is that they need to be saved. That's the answer. I know that we can get caught up in a lot of different things. We can get caught up in politics. We can get caught up in the media. We can get caught up on social media. We can get caught up in all of these different things. But the base core level of what God wants to do with people, with the mess that's out there in the world, is to save them. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, God saw this world in sin, and he says, I'm going to deal with this world in sin by sending my Son, Jesus Christ, so that they might be saved. That's the beginning point. Matthew chapter 15, verse number 18 says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. 
So here is God making it very clear. You see all that mess out there in the world. You see the murders. You see the adulteries. You see the problems. You see the sin that's out there in the world. You see all those terrible things. You know where they come from? Comes from the heart of men and women. Comes from the hearts of people. See, that's why I know everybody talks about, oh, you know what? The real answer to the problem is we just need to educate everybody. If we could just get all of this knowledge to all the people, they would know and understand, and then they would be able to do better, and we would just be able to live in a paradise. See, education is not enough because it doesn't deal with the heart. See, you could implement all of the government policies that you want to, and write in all of the laws that will seemingly put everybody in their place, and yet all the government laws will not solve the problem in this world. You know why? Because it doesn't deal with the heart. Ultimately, the issue of the heart remains. And God says, you could try to do it with government, you could try to do it through social programs and all of this, but haven't we seen throughout world history, it's not enough? It's not enough. And God has allowed for us to go through all different sorts of systems, different cultures, different beliefs. Everybody's tried everything, and yet nothing works because none of those things can deal with the heart like God can. John chapter 5, verse number 39. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. See, we have the word of God to point people to Jesus Christ so that they could trust in Jesus Christ to be their savior, to pay for their sins because of the blood that he shed on the cross so that they might have a restored relationship with God so that they could be born again. Romans chapter 10 verse 14 says, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God begins with the word of God and he says, within the word of God, you have eternal life. It points people to Jesus Christ and it makes it very clear. Romans 10, 14 through 17, the verses that we just read, that we need to preach the gospel. Amen? That's our responsibility. You see the mess out there in the world? Our response ought to be, well, God has given to us a solution in his word, so let's go preach the gospel. Let's be involved with sharing the gospel with people. I love it when I hear people talk about, you know, I have a friend, I have a coworker, I have a neighbor, uh, I have a classmate that I've been inviting to church and I've been talking with them and we're friends together. We were friends from before they moved into the neighborhood or I have a new coworker. I'm able to have some conversations. Can you pray that they'll be saved? Can you pray, you know, we are on a lunch break or, you know, we have a, a moment together and I share with them the gospel. I love to hear that because I know that that is the answer that the world needs. The world doesn't always know that that's what they need, but that is what the world needs. And so God begins with saying, you know what, there's a mess out there in the world, but we need to begin with salvation. We need to begin with the gospel. So the Bible works to save us. The Bible works to save people. But the process doesn't end with salvation. You begin to see in verse number 16 that the Bible works to sanctify us. So it works to save people, and then those that are saved, it works to sanctify them. So salvation is step number one. Sanctification is step number two. 
I've had a lot of experience putting IKEA things together. And uh, you get this little sheet or whatever, and it says step number one. You do all of these things. And then you flip the page, and you got step number two. It'd be nice if there's only one step and everything's done, but it's not the way that it works. You got step two, you got step three, you got step four. Well, we're going to take a look, if you will, at steps two, three, and four. So God saves us from the penalty of sin, but now he's got to work on us so that we might be more like him. Because when we are saved, we are born into the family of God. I remember when my kids were born. I remember that very first day I was able to hold them in my arms. It's special. It's very special to be able to hold your kid in your arms, this little, this little child. And so precious. It's wonderful. But they've got a lot to learn. They've got to learn how to eat. They've got to learn how to talk. They've got to learn how to walk. They've got to learn how to do things. They've got to learn all of these things. It's a process. And it's the same with the Christian life as well. When you get saved, you are born again. And you've got a lot to learn. You've got to learn how to eat. You've got to learn how to talk. You've got to learn how to walk. You've got to learn how to feed yourself on the Word of God. You've got to learn how to get into the Bible and study the Word of God and, and feed on it so that you can grow and be strong. You've got to learn how to talk. You've got to learn that there's a difference between talking like a lost person and talking like a saved person. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If we've got a, a changed heart, if God has given to us that new nature, it ought to affect the way that we speak, the way that we talk, the things that we talk about, and the way that we talk about them. And it also needs to change the way that we walk, the way that we live, the way that we look. And God wants us to grow and to mature, and we do it all through the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 5 says, and it describes the Bible as milk and strong meat. There are sections of the Bible that are milk, easy to consume, easy to read. I'm sure if you've read through the Bible, you know there are easy passages of Scripture to read. Things that you're like, that's nice, that's encouraging. I know what it's saying. And then there are others that are like, I got to chew on this for a little while. <laughs> I got to really, I, I, I got to get my knife in there and really cut it and chew it and think about it, meditate upon it in order to really get the full meat of what is in there. And that's what he's saying in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. So the word of God not only gives us the gospel and salvation, but it also helps us to grow and to be strong and to be mature so that in verse, 13, uh, verse 17, it says that the man of God may be perfect. So we're going to dive into verse number 16 where it says, uh, uh, and is profitable. And it gives a list of four different things. It gives us, first of all, doctrine. We are profited in the word of God in doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching. We are profited when we learn. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so God wants us to be more like Him. And He does it by giving to us His 
word. We need to study the Bible so that we might be more like him. That's why every Sunday morning, I encourage Christians, let's get together, let's hear the word of God so that we can be more like him. We encourage Christians, read your Bible so that you might be more like him, so that you could understand his mind, his heart, his desires, his will, so that we might be more like him. And it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the side of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So doctrine is what gives us stability. The word of God is what makes us stable in the Christian life. We know where we stand eternally. If you are saved, you know your end destination. Amen? You know that you're going to be, you don't ever have to worry about that. The Bible and the doctrine also gives us standing in terms of our relationship with others. I don't have to understand uh, or figure out all these things in terms of things like my family structure. What is my duty to my wife? I know that because the Bible tells me what they are. The same is true of my wife to me. We don't have to go through this whole messy thing. And of course, relationships can be complicated. And you've got to you know, work out the relationship together. But it's pretty clear, these relationship dynamics. I don't have to go out into the world and read all of these books and what they say about marriage and relationships and all of these things. I can stand assured knowing I know what God's word says about that. I know what God's word says about parenting. I know everybody out in the world's got their own opinion about parenting, but God is the one who instituted this whole thing called the family. The husband and the wife and the kids, the parents and the children together, all of these things. I know where I stand. My relationship with my church that is given to me in the word of God, I know where I'm supposed to be because the Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me where I need to be. So we are profited in doctrine, and it gives us stability in our Christian walk and in life in general. We are also profited in reproof. Reproof has this idea of correction. So not only do we get stability from the Word of God, we are also corrected by the Word of God. It also tells us when we are off. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So God's word is alive and it looks into your heart and it discerns what's in your heart. That's why we got to get into the Word of God, so that we can know where we are internally. Spiritually, are we right? Are we wrong? Are we correct? Are we off? Uh, we need to know those things. Uh, beginning last year in, uh, in March, uh, many of you know, I began to record videos and put them on YouTube. I never thought I would ever do that in a million years. Uh, but last year seemed to necessitate, all right, I want to do what I can to help the people of Bible Baptist Church. So I'm going to start posting these videos. Now, I'd never really done it before, and there was definitely some hiccups and all of these different sorts of things. Uh, but what I would do is I would have a camera, I would record on the camera, and then I would take the video, put it on my computer, and I would basically kind of, you know, chop off the beginnings and the endpoints and things like that, and then basically upload it onto YouTube. And uh, so that will be my normal process. Uh, but if you, you know, if you have a camera, I wasn't using my phone, I was using a camera. If you have a camera, that screen is, is kind of small, a little bit small. And so I look at the camera, I'm like, oh, I think it's okay. And then I'll record. And every once in a while, I'll look at the, at the video and, you know, I put it on my, on my computer. And then I look at it and I, 
you know, I'm looking like this because my camera was crooked. And I was like, I can't put this up on YouTube. Everybody's going to look at me like, who is this guy, <laughs> you know? So I was like, oh, I got to fix this somehow. Every once in a while, I'd have to re-record the whole thing. Sometimes I try to use the program to try to, you know, make it straight or whatever. And then I realized on, on my tripod is this little bubble thing. You ever see those bubble things? Little bubble thing where it's like, yeah, there's a little piece of glass and like a circle or some lines or whatever. There's a little air bubble in there. You're supposed to line, it's like a game. You're supposed to line up the bubble and put it within the circle, and that's when you know you're level. It's flat, all right? It's going to be straight, you know? You have, and you have different, you know, levels based on if you're crooked or this and that. And so, I, you know, what had happened sometimes is I'd, I have this tripod that was back there in the office. Every once in a while, I'd walk back there, and I would trip, or somebody would walk by. It would trip over it, and the, the legs would get off. And I wouldn't notice it. And I would just put it over there and I would record not really noticing anything. And then I was like, oh no, this is off. And I would look and I'd be, oh, that's what happened. Well, the Bible tells us when we are off. You don't have to eyeball it. God will tell you when you're off. <laughs> One author described it as the scripture is the plumb line by which every thought, principle, act, and belief is to be measured. All right, obviously back in Bible days, we didn't have bubble levels and all of these different things that you could use. So if you wanted something to be straight up and down, you know what people did? They took a string, they put a weight on one end of the string, and they just held it up. That's perfectly upright. And so they would look, is this perfectly upright or not? That was their measuring point. Everything had to be measured according to that. If it was off, then it was crooked and it needed to be corrected. And the Bible is our plumb line. How do you know if you're living right or wrong? You don't have to eyeball it. You just go to the Bible. Just take a look at it. Just read it. That's why we encourage you, consistently read it so that you know, you know what? I'm off here. You know what? I learned there's something, there's something not right here. And the Bible is alive. It'll get into your heart and says, you know what? Everybody else thinks it's okay, but something in your heart is wrong. You're developing some bitterness there. You're not forgiving that individual. You said that you forgave them, but deep in your heart, there's something that's still not right. Hey, you still have some prejudice against somebody. You're still not willing to submit yourself in this area of life. The Word of God will help you in those areas. We're profited. When we're crooked, we get into the Word of God and we realize, oh, we're off. And we need to get back right. We are also profited in correction. That's the next word. Correction is... The next aspect after reproof, it's one thing to know you're off track, it's another thing to know how to get back. So I moved to the LA area about five years ago, and uh, some of you might think this is silly, but for a lot of locations that I go, not, not too locally, but you know, if I'm going anywhere that probably takes you know, 10, 15 minutes or more, uh, I still use a GPS. I still type in an address or I you know, click on something close by and I, I click on that to try to get to where I'm going to go. Now you might think that's really silly, but every once in a while it saved me, all right? Whenever I go to the airport, I always use GPS. And I always use GPS because sometimes there's traffic right there, right? You know, there's traffic on the 405, traffic on the 110, 105, there's traffic on Century Boulevard, there's traffic here and there. And so I want to know what's the best way to get there. And so I use GPS a lot. Even places that I've been to a lot, I'll, I'll use it. Sometimes there's an accident on the highway that you don't know about, and then it'll redirect you around. So I do that. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I do it. Now, the wonderful thing about GPS is GPS tells you how to get there right? Every once in a while, I get confused, 
right? You get on those highways and there's like five million off-ramps all at the same location, you know? And uh, you get confused, okay, you're looking at the GPS, you know, what am I supposed to do? And every once in a while, I've made a wrong turn. I turned too early, I missed the turn. The GPS doesn't say, hey, you're off. Hey, what are you doing? Hey, you're off. You know what the GPS does? It tells you how to get back on track. Aren't you glad your GPS doesn't just keep dinging you and saying, nope, still not right. Still wrong. I, I see that you're trying, but nope, wrong. You're even farther off now. Okay, you're just, you have no idea what you're doing. Aren't you glad your GPS doesn't just tell you that you're off, it tells you how to get right. See, the Bible, sometimes people think that the Bible is just about telling people that they're wrong. But the Bible is telling people they're off so that they can get you back on track. You can't get back on track until you realize you're off track. Amen? So the Bible profits us by telling us, in correction or in reproof, hey, there's something wrong there, and then it tells us how we can get back on track. Psalm chapter uh, 119, verse number 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So chapter 119 is all about the word of God. Just take a look at the whole chapter. There's a lot of verses in there. It's a long chapter. Just read the chapter and you'll find the word of God helps me, guides me, teaches me, leads me. I need to meditate upon it. I need to have it as a part of my life. It'll help me. And then lastly, what we see is that we are profited in the instruction in righteousness. It tells us how we can stay right. The word for instruction carries the idea of bringing up or training up a child. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4, tells the fathers, raise up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so there's this idea here of God's trying to raise up his children. So he gives us doctrine. He tells us the right thing. Then he gives us reproof. He tells us when we're wrong. He gives us correction to get us back right so that he can raise us up to be mature adult Christians. So that, as it says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 17, that the man of God may be perfect. So we see that God gives us these instructions so that we can grow to be more like him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10 says, for we are his workmanship. So God is trying to work on us. He gives us the word of God so that he can save us, and then he's going to work on us. All right? So that's the solution so far to that mess that's out there. The perilous times that we live in, all right, begins with us. First of all, if you're here and you're not saved and you think, wow, what a mess out there, you know what God is saying? Yeah, there's a mess out there, but there's a mess in here too. And the mess is you got to be saved. You're in your sin. You need to be saved. And then after you get saved, then God's going to work on you and say, all right, let's get you ready for this battle that's out there in the world. Thirdly, what we see then is the Bible works to send us, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. What's the point of us being here today? Why are we here? Why are you here? Why'd you come here today? I'm sure we all have different reasons. Some are here today because your parents told you you have to be here today, and so that's why you're here today. Good. I'm thankful you have parents that said 
this is not optional. You need to be there. This is the most important thing. We're going to go to church. We're going to follow God. We're going to hear the word of God. Great. Some of you are here, maybe out of habit. This is just the thing that you do. I'm glad that you're here. Some of you are here because you want to honor the Lord. You want to follow God's command. Great. That's wonderful. All of those things are great. All of those things are good. All of those things are fine. But let's get a little deeper. Why are we really here? Why are we really here? Why do we really have to gather together? Why? Why are we here? What's so important about what we do here that makes it so important, that makes it so vital that we've got to be here? Well, there's a number of things. One, there might be somebody here who's lost that needs to be saved. That's vital. It's vital that you come, continue to hear the word of God, maybe have a relationship with somebody they could share with you the word of God so you might be saved. You will put your trust in Jesus Christ. Another reason for us as Christians, we need to be more like him. But the question can be asked, why do I have to be more like him? What if I don't want to be more like him? What if I want to be like my friends? What if I want to be like these celebrities that are out there that I see? I want to be like this athlete. He seems to be living a cool life. I want to do what he's doing. I want to be like him. I want to be like Mike. I remember these commercials when I was growing up. You know, Michael Jordan, be like Mike, you know, like Mike. Everybody wants to be like Mike. You would imitate Michael Jordan on the basketball, you know, all of these things. You would wear the shoes, you wear the jersey, you would drink the drinks, you would, you know, shoot the ball, you do all of that stuff. Some people say, I don't want to be like him, I don't, or I don't want to be like Jesus Christ. I don't want to be like Christ. Why are we here? What? What happens when we become more like Christ? Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. See, God saves us, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in christ unto good work so god saves us then he works on us so that we might do good works now what are the good works that god wants for us to do if you want to simply put it this way god wants us to make a difference amen god wants us to make a difference god wants us to make a difference in our homes God wants us to make a difference in those relationships with those people that we live with. If you're married, your husband or wife, your kids or your parents, God wants you to make a difference. Amen? Amen. Those people are not just to be tolerated. They are to be loved. Amen. You are to encourage them. We are to grow together in the Lord. There's somebody in your home that's not saved. Live a life so that they will be able to see the testimony that that Christianity is real that there's something there, that they've got something that's different. They're not just going to church. They got something, and I want to know what it is so that they would be saved, so that they would realize this person used to be like this. Now they live like this. Something's changed. Something's different. I want what they have. I want it. 
I see that they used to have anger issues. They used to be bitter. They used to have all of these things. And now they're joyful in the Lord. Something's changed. What happened? What happened is I got saved. And you could be saved too. Let me share with you how you could be saved. We got to make a difference in our homes. Got to make a difference in the relationships if you're married. Grow in that relationship in the Lord. If you've got kids, help them. Raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. When you go to your workplace, God has called for us to be the difference maker. To be a difference. So that we could show people there's a life outside of just work and money and career and prestige and all of that. There's more to life than that. There's something deeper. There's something more important. Lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven, but lay up for yourselves treasures, or lay up not for yourselves treasures on earth. I quoted that wrong. <laughs> lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? What's the, what, what's the big deal about all of these things that you're going through if the point is when you die, you have to give it all up? What's the point of that life? Let me tell you, there's something more important. Ephesians chapter 6, there were some verses earlier, you can look them up later, but it basically gives to us this list of spiritual armor. The list of spiritual armor gives to us, like, you know, the belt of truth. It gives to us the breastplate of righteousness. gives to us the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. God wants to equip us so that we can get out into the battlefield and have some victory and win. I've never been in the military, but I remember, you know, when I was in school, we would go through history. In history class, you would talk, a lot of it would talk about wars, battles, and conflicts, and who won, who lost, why they won, why they lost, and all of these different things. Well, you know, you know every once in a while, you know, I think about that, and, you know, imagine being a soldier in one of these wars. Let's go back, let's go back, you know, to World War II. Imagine being a soldier of World War II. Imagine being, you know, American soldier, you're in World War II, and you've just crossed the Atlantic, now you're in England, and you're going to go storm Normandy Beach. Right? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being there? You've got your whole full gear of everything. You're weighed down, you know, with like, I don't know how much they weigh, 50 pounds, 70 pounds of gear. And you're just on that transport ship, you know? You're standing there, shoulder to shoulder, front to back, 100 soldiers all in this transport ship crossing the channel, you know? And then you get to the end, and that front just drops down. Boom. And then it's on. And you're running over there, and the fire's coming in, and other soldiers coming with you. Can you imagine that? Europe was a mess at that time. Ruled by Hitler and the Nazis, it was a mess. A terrible mess. Somebody had to go in there. Somebody had to go in there and make a difference. I'm glad somebody went in there and made a difference. Amen? You know, there's a world out there that's a mess. And it could look like, oh, that's a mess. Let's just stay over here. But you know what God has called for us to do? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. See, no, God's not asking you to change the world. What he's asking you is every one of you has a beachfront that God wants you to take. Every one of you has a section that's like, you know what? This is your section. This is your family. This is your workplace. This is your neighborhood. Let's go make a difference. Let's share with them the gospel. 
First Peter chapter 2, verse number 12 says, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. See, we can make a difference. If we live for God, they may criticize us. They may speak against us as evildoers. But in the end, when they see the good works that God is doing through us, they will glorify God as well. We can make a difference, but we've got to get that power from the Word of God.